cross the calories out if you'd like. And uh, it's always worth a try. Praise God. But we invite you to enjoy that time with us and give us the opportunity to personally thank you, uh, show our appreciation to you. If you are not familiar with our home, just see us after service and we will give you the address and uh, some very simple directions. It's not hard to find if you know your way around Olathe at all. We want you to spend some time with us this Tuesday night between 6 and 9. Uh, just come and go during that time. And then one week from tonight, one week from tonight, we are having our annual Christmas program. In fact, all of our people are already downstairs working on that, and they are preparing and getting ready, and I'm hearing some good things and expecting great, great time next Sunday night. We also will be having a banquet to precede the program, and so uh, we want everybody to come and be a part of that next Sunday night, beginning at 6 o'clock next Sunday night. Praise God. Amen. So please keep those things in mind. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17 been feeling this for several days, and I, I made mention a couple of weeks ago um, that I know it is time for us to get into the book of Mark um, as we've been going through the Bible, but I just ask you to bear with me and be patient as we take a few weeks respite uh, from that book, and um, we will get into it after the first of the year, Lord willing. But um, just have just been feeling um, that the Lord wanted me to focus on some other things for the next couple of weeks. And so we're going to do that, and uh, we'll pick back up with the book of Mark as I feel like the Holy Ghost wants me to. But for now, but for now, I'm going to do what I feel. Praise God. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture, so please bear with me. Um, Acts chapter 17, and we'll begin reading verse 22. Acts 17 and 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions... I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now, I know you're standing, but, but please understand what's happening here. As Paul is standing in a place where he is surrounded by temples, where false gods are being worshipped, statues, idols, And he is declaring to them 
There is a God that is above all others. Look at what he said. In verse 23, he said, I, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Their idea, their attitude was just in case we've missed one. We, we've tried to build something to show honor to each God we believe exists. But if we missed one, we want to recognize him as well. And, and Paul did not say, did not say that this God, uh, this idol of, of uh, Jupiter is the real God. Or, or this uh, statue of um, Zeus or whoever it is that they have built their temple or their idol to honor. Paul didn't point to one of them and say, no, you've just got the wrong name. Because none of those are God. Now, I know that what I'm about to tell you may cause me to come under indictment by the Attorney General. Um, I don't know how many of you saw that, but after these mass shootings, our Attorney General came out and said that she is going to prosecute anybody that speaks badly of Muslims. But rather than deal with the people who committed these atrocities, she's more concerned that we don't say anything bad about their religion. I'm about to say something about their religion. But let's make it very clear. Allah is not God. It's not another name for the God we worship. Because the God we worship doesn't ask us to pick up rifles and pipe bombs and kill those who disagree with us. That's not our God. So Paul didn't point at one of these idols and say, oh, you just got the wrong name. Paul said, this one that you said you don't know, he's the one I want to tell you about. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, it is this God who made the world, who made everything that's in it. And this God is Lord of heaven and earth. He's the God above all of your gods. And he said he doesn't dwell in temples made by... Now he's standing in the midst of temples. But he said the true God doesn't need all of these buildings to affirm his power. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25, neither is worship with men's hands. Now, that doesn't mean we don't lift our hands to God. He's saying that building these statues, doing these things by your own ability is not what gives glory to God. In fact, I've found that normally the use of our abilities is where God gets the least amount of glory. We tend to take the glory for what we have the ability to do. <clears throat> Anyhow, I, I, you're standing. I'm trying to get through this. Um, Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, 
seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Everything you have, everything you are came from this God. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God did all of this. God did all. The true God did all of this. Verse 27. That. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But words mean things. Words carry importance and significance. And this word that. We could also say so that. Or in order that. Or for this reason, for this purpose. He just went through a list of things God has done and he said he did it for this reason. That they should seek the Lord. That's why he did it. That they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him. Everyone say feel. That they might feel after him and find him. Everyone say find. So God did all these things that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. He's unlike these gods that are stationary. These, these idols you've erected, if you get outside the city of Athens, you're a long ways from your God. And Paul said, I don't care where you are, you're never too far from the true God. Though he be not far from every one of us. Well, sometimes we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. You understand what he's telling them now? He's, don't, don't think that you can express deity through a statue. That's right. Well, there's some churches in America that need to hear that, don't they? I've walked in some where they had statues all around the building. Paul said, you can't express the Godhead through the work of a man's hands. Verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked, past tense, winked at. But now, present tense, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men 
in that he raised him from the dead. Now that was Paul's sermon in its entirety. I wish I could say as much in that little bit of time. I haven't quite learned that art yet. Praise God. So you're stuck with a long-winded preacher this morning. But I do feel something. I've been feeling it for days. And I need, I need the church. I know that many of the things I'm going to say, you faithful saints have heard over and over and over. But I feel like God's reaching for someone today. And I need you to help me today. I want to talk to you for a little while from, from a subject that I have taken from verse 27, if you don't mind putting verse 27 back up there, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might do what? That they might feel after him and what? Find him. I, I, want, to, I want to talk to you today about feeling or finding. Feeling or finding. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. I really need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this service. Would you pray with me? Come on, let's, let's, let's talk to the Lord. I want to see somebody receive the Holy Ghost before we leave today. Everybody, let's reach out to the Lord. Let's ask God to speak to hearts in this service. Oh, let's, let's cry out to the Lord right now. name in Jesus name come on church come on we need some liberty in this house we need some liberty in this house hallelujah I love you Jesus come on let's praise him come on let's praise him come on I love you Jesus I worship you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't want to, I don't want to bore you this morning with unnecessary details, but I do want us to understand what has brought the Apostle Paul to this moment in time. So often we just pick a verse or two of scripture and read it and don't really understand all of the passion and all of the emotion that is going on that leads us to where we have read. So please give me a few moments of time this morning to, to describe to you a little bit of what is going on that brought Paul to be able to stand here and deliver this 
compassionate message to these people. You see, if, if you back up and begin to read about what's going on in Paul's travels, he, he, he had just been preaching in Thessalonica and, and um, things didn't go too well. To put it mildly, things didn't go too well for the Apostle Paul. Uh, there were those who not only rejected what he had to say, but decided to uh, launch an attack against him to the point that uh, they sent him out of Thessalonica by night and he traveled to Berea. Now when he got to Berea, his, his uh, reception there was quite a bit different than what it had been in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 verse 11. Listen to this. These were, not, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Now just leave that verse up for just a moment. Uh, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, they, they, for the most part, though there were some, we'll see in a moment, who accepted what Paul said. But for the most part, the people of Thessalonica rejected not only Paul's message, but they rejected the messenger. And, and they wanted nothing to do with the doctrine he was presenting unto them. And so here when he gets to Berea, the Bible tells us that the Bereans were more noble. They were more noble. This is an interesting word that, that really carries uh, a connotation normally under normal usage of nobility. Those who have a great heritage, those who are well born you might say. But here it's saying that they carried themselves, that the way that they received the message and the messenger was as though these were dignitaries who recognized a greater dignitary in their midst. They were more noble, and this is what caused Luke to describe them as more noble. They did two things. First of all, they received the word with all readiness of mind. That's important, saints of God. That's important. I'm telling you, I've, I've seen it too many times that folks get a mindset when they are in church. Well, it's just the preacher. It's just another sermon. It's just another message. And, and, and so there is no real readiness of mind, no openness of heart to what God might be saying to you today. Amen. I've, in, in fact, in my last trip to Africa, though we saw a great breakthrough, one of the things that we dealt with was a number of folks that were sitting in that meeting that came with their minds made up that we were not preaching truth and they did not want to hear us. I will tell you, Luke said it's a noble thing. It's a noble thing. When you are sitting in a congregation and someone's preaching the word. It's a noble thing if you can receive that word with all readiness of mind. This really speaks to me of an anticipation. I'm expecting to hear the voice of God today. 
I'm expecting for God to give me some direction today. I'm looking for that moment when the anointing comes down and makes a connection between me and the preacher and God's going to deliver me some word. I've got a readiness of mind. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. I'm anticipating this. I'm looking forward to this. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I've, 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 I've uh, announced services where certain people were going to be preaching and, and I've had people say, man, I'm looking forward to that service. I, I, why? Because I know I'm going to really hear something. I, I, I know he's an excellent preacher. He walks in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to hear something. But I want to tell you, God wants us to have that attitude every time we come to church. It's not about just creating some set of superheroes. But it's having this attitude every time we come to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You want to know why I'm glad? You want to know why I didn't just roll over and pull the covers up a little higher this morning? Because I'm expecting that I'm going to hear from God today. I come with a readiness of mind. I want to tell you, even as a preacher, even as a preacher, I come with a readiness of mind. Because you know what I've learned? There's times when I'm preaching and teaching. For example, last Thursday night, where God just starts talking and things go a totally different direction than what I thought they were going to go. And I walk away from the service saying, God, you talk to me tonight too. I think any preacher that has been preaching any length of time, if he is familiar with the work of the Holy Ghost will tell you there are times that we speak things that we finally, uh, that, that when we're finally finished, we stand back in amazement and say, I don't know where that came from. I didn't intend to say that. I didn't intend to do that. I didn't intend to explain it that way. But it was a moment of revelation. It was a moment, a moment of anointing when God was speaking not only through the preacher but to the preacher. We've got to have a readiness of mind. I want a noble spirit, Brother Brandon. I want God to see me with this readiness of mind when the word of God's coming forth. And the second thing the Bible says is that they searched the scriptures every Sunday morning. They searched the scriptures every time someone preached to them. No, no, these people had such a hunger in Berea. I want to know more about God. I, I don't just want to hear the preacher, though I need to hear the preacher. But I want to get some things from the Word of God on my own. You know, Brother Moore, last Sunday... Uh, told of the situation where the Lord woke him up in the middle of the night, had him uh, begin to study a passage of scripture that he just never even really considered and never really given much thought to it. And then after the service, the lady came to him and said, Pastor, I'm so glad. Tears streaming down her face. I'm so glad you did that because I've been trying to understand this passage and I ask God, please help me understand it. I'm going to tell you, I thank God for saints that are not waiting until church service 
to try to get something out of the Bible. Well, my amens just tapered off drastically. This is what spiritual nobility looks like. They, they've, they receive the word with all readiness of mind and they search the scriptures daily. Daily. They were in a daily pursuit of what? It said whether these things were so. They're in a daily pursuit of truth. Church, this is what, this is what I've, I've tried to teach you for the last almost 20 years. That is, don't just take my word for it. That's how people end up in cults. Well, thank you for the three amens. That's how people end up in cults because they never sit down and examine the scriptures for themselves. And they just assume that whatever's being said must be right. But that's why I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to train you. I'm trying to tell you. When I get through preaching, you go home and read it again for yourself. You go home and look at it again for yourself. I want you to be familiar with the scripture. Hallelujah. Listen, you know, you know what one of my visions for this church is? What one, one of, of my visions for this congregation is that you would become so adept at our doctrine that you never have to call anybody for a scripture. That you can sit down with anyone and convince them of the oneness of God. That you can sit down with anyone and convince them they need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, hallelujah. That's what I want to happen. Now, I'm going to tell you the sad thing is, in the apostolic ranks, and, and I'm sad to say this, but it's the truth. Unfortunately, there are a lot of preachers that can't do that. But it should not be so. We need to know this doctrine inside and out. We need to be ready at all times to give an answer of the hope that lieth within us. Come on, somebody. We need to get a hold of this and know it for ourselves. Praise God. So they were, they were noble. They were noble. Because they received the word with readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Now, one commentator said they listened attentively and respectfully to the gospel. They did not reject it. They did not spurn it as unworthy of examination. May God grant that we would have such an attitude toward the word of God. Now, listen, I said a while ago that, that uh, Thessalonica rejected the message and the messenger, but that there were some, there were some who did not have that attitude. Let me just show you where I get that. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. First Thessalonians 2, 13. For this cause also thank we God I without thank God. ceasing. 
without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, when you receive the word of God, which you heard of which us, you heard me preach, you received it not. You didn't say, "Well, that's just another man. That's just his opinion. That's just another idea." But as it is, in but truth, he said, "You received it like it really is." The word of it's God, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now listen, listen. You can disagree with my opinions. You can disagree, amen, with with my thoughts. But when I'm reading it as it says it in this book, there's nothing to disagree with. I remember years ago reading a verse of scripture, and that's really, that's all. I didn't offer a commentary. I just read the verse, and, and a visitor in the service that morning was so disturbed by that verse. She's sitting there. I, I, the, the mental picture is burned in my mind. She's sitting there looking at the Bible in her hands. We didn't have it up on the wall back in those days. The Bible's in her hands, and I read the verse. And she starts shaking her head no. And she, out loud, she says, it don't say that. It don't say that. Well, it do say that. It's in your Bible. It's there. We can't argue with it. What's written in this book is not the opinion of a man. Don't buy into this philosophy that a group of men just wrote this. This is not the idea of man. These are the words of God. And everything from Genesis through Revelation is divinely inspired. It was breathed by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We need that kind of mindset. We need to understand that. We need to search the scriptures. What did Jesus say in John 5 and 39? Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. The first command here, in verse 39, he said, search the scriptures. Search them, search them, search them. I want you to go on a daily quest through the pages of God's word and come to know this book. Church, here are the answers to every problem in life. Why do we not want to read it? Why are we not interested in what it says? Though it may be thousands of years old, it is relevant for this hour. In fact, I would dare say it's even more relevant now than it's ever been. Because there is more of it being fulfilled before our very eyes. Hallelujah. We need to search the scriptures. We need to search the scriptures. Now, although the people of Berea, I'm, I, I want to try to get back here to, to my text. I want to get back to the message that Paul preached. So, so stay with me. I, I want you to understand what was burning in his heart. He had been in Thessalonica. And for all intents and purposes, he had been run out of town under the cover of night. So he goes to Berea. He finds willing hearts. He finds people of spiritual nobility. And no doubt he's thinking, wow, 
thank God. What a relief. After everything I've just been through, what a relief. But um, things don't continue on as well as they had been. Look at verse 13, Acts 17. We're, we're studying Acts 17 today. You got your Bibles open? You got your Bibles open? We're studying Acts 17 today if you hadn't figured out. So get your Bibles open. Acts 17, verse 13. Look at what he says. Well, when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was wait, preached. Wait, 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 wait. When the Jews of where? When the Jews of Thessalonica, where Paul just came from, had knowledge that the word of God, the word of God was preached, was Paul. preached of Paul at Berea. At Berea. They came thither also and stirred up the people. Isn't this interesting? Paul left them. Paul's gone. He's not bothering Thessalonica. He's done. But they're not satisfied. They got rid of him, but they're not satisfied. They've got to try to do more damage. They can't just leave it alone. They've got to go track him down and see if they can stir up more trouble. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, he's not even in your town anymore. He's gone. Forget about it. No, they can't do that. They got to go see if they can stop him from being effective anywhere. So they go to Berea, and the Bible says there they stirred up the people also. To the point that, guess what? Paul's got to pack his bags again and move on to the next city. Now, it was after this trouble in Thessalonica, looks like a breakthrough in Berea, that stopped by a bunch of hard-hearted, rebellious people. Then he moves on to Athens. He walks into Athens. And in Athens, he sees temples and idols, false gods being worshipped, Do you think something's probably really starting to bubble up in Paul's spirit? Do you think maybe there's something going on deep inside of this good man of God? Look at verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens. He, he was waiting. Now, when it says them, if, if, if we took the time to read everything in this chapter, what you'd find is that, that Silas and Timothy were still in Berea. They were still trying to salvage the work there, but they had promised to come along and join Paul at his next stop, which was Athens. So Paul is waiting in Athens for the arrival of Silas and Timothy. So while he waited for them at Athens, what happened? His spirit was stirred his in him. His spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When he saw this city wholly given to idolatry. Now, that phrase, wholly given to idolatry, uh, might also be interpreted full of idols. The city, there were just idols everywhere. 
I mean, it's almost like every street corner, there's another God. Everywhere you go, you run into it. You know, we think we get grieved in today's society with the things we have to see and hear. And I do get grieved, I promise you. I get extremely grieved. I just was talking to Brother Stevens uh, on the phone yesterday, I think it was. And he told me, he said, I'd, I'd gone down to the barber shop to get a haircut. And he said, while I'm in the chair, the barber said, do you know what they're doing at the public school in Mountain View? He said, what? He said, the seventh grade class was just made to watch a film on the merits of Islam. What a wonderful religion it is. In Mountain View, Arkansas, I mean population six, or so, I don't know, it's, no, it's bigger than that, but he'd shoot me for saying that, but it's bigger than that, but it's, I mean, it's a small town. That, that kind of thing grieves me. They can't have Bibles. They can't pray prayers. They can't even have Christian clubs. They can't do anything related to Christianity. But let's push Islam. I mean, I've read reports where they're teaching kids to recite the pillars of Islam, one of which is there is no God but Allah. They're teaching kids to say this. That grieves me. Uh, in fact, I don't know how many of you saw this. I'm way off the subject, but, but I also saw an article where a teacher was having her class create propaganda posters to get people to join ISIS. It's there. Check it out. It's there. It happened. Public school. Draw a poster to recruit people for ISIS. You know, I'm beginning to feel like I know how Paul must have felt when he walked into Athens. Idols everywhere. Worship of false gods everywhere. The city was full of idols. The Bible says that when he saw all this, his spirit was stirred within him. And, and, and that, that phrase means to irritate. It means to provoke. It means to arouse to anger. Paul got mad. He got mad. He's just mad. People could allow themselves to reach this point. Now, he was, he was obviously agitated. He was angry. But, but let me tell you, here's what I find. Though Paul was angry, I don't find where he was angry at the people. Because when you read the message, we just read, we just read his sermon. Nowhere in that sermon... Did he get up and say, you bunch of heathen, you're all going to hell. In fact, really, the King James does it a little bit of an injustice in the way that it's translated, as I'm going to show you in just a moment. But Paul really was complimentary to the people. You want to know who Paul got mad at? I'm convinced he wasn't mad at the people. He was mad at the devil. 
that blinded the minds of the people. For it was Paul who wrote, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He's the one who penned those words. Paul understood it's not the people's fault that they're blinded. It's the devil's fault. And if we're ever going to reach them, and if we're ever going to get the blindfolds off of them, we're not going to do it by walking around being holier than thou, turning our nose up at them, not wanting anything to do with them, being angry at them because they don't come to church. That's not going to win anybody. That's right. Paul didn't do any of that in a city that was full of idols. He's angry, all right. He's mad. But he understood we're not going to win a spiritual warfare by the power of our own frustrations. In fact, in fact, the Bible tells us this, that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Did you hear me? That's an important verse of scripture you need to know. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You want somebody to become righteous, you're not going to get them there by getting mad at them. Well, praise God. But here's what he did. Here's what he did. Verse 17. Let's continue reading. You got your Bibles open. Verse 17. Let's, let's look at what he did. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So, so he disputed them or he discussed their ideas with them. Paul said, let's, hey, let's talk about this. Come on, let's, let's, let's think about what you're doing. And, and so every day, every day, he's talking to them. He's discussing things with them. The Bible doesn't say that he got up and preached them into hell, but he discussed it with them. He, he, he reasoned with them. Every day, every day, every day, he's back at it. See, they didn't just hop on, he's waiting on Silas and Timothy to get here, and they didn't just hop on a plane and get there in a couple of hours' time. It's going to be a few days, but Paul's not just going to sit around and do nothing. He sees a city that's lost, and he said, I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something. So he begins to discuss it with them. And, and then, according to verse 19, we will take the time to read it, but as a result of all of these discussions going on every day, a group of them took Paul and, and they led him to what, what the Bible calls uh, Areopagus. And Areopagus is just simply another name for Mars Hill. Same place, all right? Same location, just a different name. Um, it, it was uh, this Areopagus, Mars Hill, was, was a place or it, it was a court uh, where the, the celebrated judges of Athens assembled, all right? They've been listening to this man. He's not saying what everybody else in Athens is saying. He's not like the others. We've had others come in our city before and introduce other gods. But what he's telling us is totally different than anything we've ever heard before. So we need to take this to the wise men of our town and let them hear this and let them consider this and let them weigh all of this out and see what they've got to say. This hill, Mars Hill, was almost, 
in the exact center of their city. So they went there. You see, in this court, in this place, religion was, was regularly discussed. And these Athenian judges were well known for being fair-minded men. They were reasonable. They were rational. They thought things through. They had, in fact, you go back to, to other non-biblical writings of the day and you can see where they were complimented for the amount of wisdom and discretion that they used. And so these are the people before whom Paul now stands. Why did they bring him to Areopagus? They didn't bring him here as, as, as he had happened to him in other cities so they could accuse him. They didn't bring him here so that he could be thrown in jail for his doctrine. They brought him here because these men were known to be fair-minded, rational, reasonable, and they wanted them to hear what Paul was saying and to make a decision as a result. We want to hear what these men think of Paul's message. All right? You're still with me. So, so it's in this kind of an atmosphere that Paul begins to preach the message that we read as our text today. It is standing here at Mars Hill. It is standing before this tribunal. It is standing before these wise, rational men who want to hear what he's got to say that Paul steps into the midst of them and begins this discourse. And look at what he says. Verse 22. Then Paul stood, Paul in, the midst of stood Mars in the midst of Mars Hill and said, and said You men of Athens, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all, I things, perceive you are that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, this is where I say the King James gives us a little... Um, Unfortunate translation, just unfortunate because the meaning of words have changed since the 1600s, all right? Today, we talk about someone being superstitious. What that means to us is they're afraid for a black cat to cross their path. You know, they're afraid to walk under a ladder or to open an umbrella in a building. All these things give you bad luck. That's superstitious to us. But that's not what this word meant. And that's not what, Paul's not saying, you bunch of dummies, you can't really believe this stuff, can you? That's not what he's saying. The word superstitious in the original actually means that they were greatly devoted to the reverence of religion. Did you get that? It's like, you know, you may not see things the way I see it, but if this is a systematic theology, if you've got a system of beliefs, we want to hear it. We're interested in considering it. They gave it respect. They gave it regard. And he said, this is what I've perceived about you. You're not hard-hearted men. You're not people whose minds are made up. He didn't say it in these words, but... But the idea that must have been flowing through his mind, you're not like Thessalonica. 
I have been able to pick up in my time here. Yeah, you've got all these idols. But, but, but what I've learned, the reason all these idols are here is because you're searching for something. It's because you're looking for something and you know you haven't found it yet. So your mind is not closed. Your heart is not closed. Your attitude, your spirit's not closed. You want to know more about the heavenlies. I perceive there's a hunger in you. That's what he's saying. I've picked up on the fact that you're hungry for religion. That's not a bad thing. That's not a terrible thing. He was complimenting them for their desire to learn more about divinity. And then we go on, verse 23. For as I passed by, as I was walking through your town, beheld your devotions. I, I, I looked at your devotions. That word in the Greek means your worship. I've watched how you worship. I've seen that you're sincere in what you're doing. You really believe. This is not just I'm doing it because mom and dad taught me to do it. This You really believe in what you're doing. Come on, saints. Can we recognize that? We can sit around and make fun of people who don't believe like we believe. But you know, many of them are sincere. And there are those that will die for what they believe even though what they believe is wrong. It doesn't make what they believe right. There is the, the, the possibility of being sincere and yet being sincerely wrong. But Paul didn't sit around and make fun of them. Oh, you bunch of idiots. Worshiping stone, worshiping. Come on, you're smarter than that. That's not what he did. He said, I recognize the reason you are what you are is because you're hungry for something else. You're searching for something else. You are interested in knowing what else is out there. You're not satisfied with where you are. You are open to learning more and to getting more. Are you hearing me this morning? I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to get through this morning. Please stay with me, saints of God. Listen to what I'm saying. Let your heart beat with my heart this morning. I'm reaching for somebody. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people in the world today that are following all the religion they know. And we can sit around and mock them and make fun of them and criticize them, but we'll never win them doing it that way. We've got to understand the reason they are where they are is because they're hungry. You understand those that are sitting in a church this morning where, where, where the, the minister is reading to them or quoting to them in the Latin language and they don't even understand what's being said and, 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 and they're going through motions and rituals where, where there's not an ounce of feeling in anything they do. Why do they go back every week? Why are they there every week? You want to know Why? Because something on the inside of them says, I know there's a God somewhere. And I'm hungry for him. I'm looking for him. I'm trying to figure out where he is. Paul said, I walked by and I, I beheld your worship. Worship is not like praise. I preached to you about praise Thursday night. Worship is not like praise. Worship goes much deeper than praise. 
praise. Everything that hath breath should praise the Lord. But not everything can really worship the Lord. And what he saw here was not just praise to these gods. He saw true worship. Worship comes out of a heart that, that, is, that is sold to that thing they are worshiping. And Paul said, I, I beheld your worship. I watched the fact that this is not just ritual to you, but when you bring those offerings before these statues, you really mean what you're doing. You are truly trying to please your God. Hello? I'm afraid that's condemning to some apostolics. Sometimes what we offer is not really worship. Our mind is somewhere else. Our heart is somewhere else. We're really not even paying attention to what's going on. We're just going through the motions. But Paul said of the Athenians, I watched your worship. And while I was examining the way you worshiped, I found a very strange altar. It had a unique inscription on it. And the inscription was this, to the unknown God. Why did they do that? Why did they build an altar to an unknown God? I'll tell you why. Because even though, even though they thought they were satisfied in their religion, their heart was telling them, there's something more we don't have yet. There's something deeper than what I possess right now. There's something greater than what I'm worshiping right now. And I don't want to take a chance on missing it. Whatever's out there that I haven't found, I want him to know I'm hungry for you too. And Paul said, and so I've ended up in your city and I've come here for a purpose. He said, whom you therefore ignorantly worship. You don't even know who he is. You don't know what his name is. You don't know anything about him. But I have been able to perceive that there's something in your heart that you are desirous of what he has to offer. He said, well, let me tell you, I've got good news for you. I have come to declare that God unto you. I have come to tell you about the one you've been looking for. I have come to introduce you to the one you've been searching for. I have come to take you to a place where you can find the satisfaction that your soul is hungry for. Whom you therefore ignorantly, ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. You see, Paul knew that a reverence for religion even worship in that religion is not enough that's not where people need to stop how many times have you tried to talk to somebody and their first response is well I have a church well I go to church well I have a religion well that's great I'm glad you do but that doesn't mean you found everything you need to find these people had religion too. But Paul said, I've come to declare unto you something you don't even understand. Though there's no doubt you're looking for it. Well, praise God. 
Amen. And so he began to tell them about this unknown God. He began to tell them as we read in our text. God doesn't need your temples. God doesn't need your statues. The God that you call the unknown God is really the one that made the heavens and the earth. He's the one that caused the blood to flow through your veins. He's the one that gave you everything you have. You didn't get it from Zeus. You didn't get it from Jupiter. You didn't get it from Mars. You didn't get it from Venus. You didn't get it from your gods. But the God that you call the unknown God, he's the one that gave you everything. And in him we live and we move and we have our being. Everything you're looking for is in the God that I have come to declare unto you. He said, God made everything. God made you. God gave you all you have. And he said, he did it for a reason. Let's go back to our text in verse 27. God did all of this for a reason. There's a reason why he made us. There's a reason why he has blessed us. There's a reason why he has given us the things he's given us. God's got a purpose in all of this. It's not haphazard. It's not accidental. God did it with a purpose. And what is that purpose? That they should seek So the that, in order that, they should do what? Seek the Lord. God did all of this because he wanted to create an interest in your heart that you would start seeking after him. Listen to me. I don't care what the evolutionists say. And, and, and I, don't, I really don't even believe. I really do not believe that most of those educated scientists really think that the whole world came from nothing. I don't believe that. I don't think they really. There's no way they could really believe that a couple of dust particles floating through space collided and out of that eventually we got the world we live in there's no way they can believe that that's there's there's nothing scientific about that they force themselves to adopt it because they don't want to accept god but they would not accept that about anything else show them an advanced computer would they believe that it just sprung up out of some dust on the floor? No, if something has been built by design, there had to be a designer. Something as simple electronically as this microphone, they're not going to believe it just appeared. Somebody designed it. Something as non-functional as a wooden pulpit. They're not going to believe that I just walked in one morning and this was here. Somebody designed it. Listen, God gave us enough evidence in the facts of creation that it ought to start us in a pursuit. If there is a design, then there is a designer. If there is a creation, then there is a creator. 
Hallelujah. And if there's a designer, if there's a creator, I need to get to know him. I need to find out what his purpose is. I need to find out what his plan is. I need to find out why he put me on this earth. He did it so that you would seek him. Now, it could be said that the Athenians were seeking God. Don't you think that's a fair statement? They were seeking God. They didn't know what they were seeking after, but they were seeking God. The reason for all these altars and temples and, 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 and statues was because they were seeking God. They just didn't know what they were seeking after. I'm going to tell you, before you just criticize the drug addict and the alcoholic, understand there's a reason why they first used those drugs. It's because they were seeking something. They didn't know what they're seeking, but they don't find it in the drugs. That's why they go deeper and deeper and harder and harder because they're not finding it, but they're still searching for it. Now, God said, this is by design. This is part of my plan. I want you seeking me. But just the fact that you're seeking me is not enough. Something's got to happen in this search. You've got to have some destination in mind. You've got to want to get something out of this search. Now, I know the older I get, um, there have been a few times, just a few, just a few, all right? I don't want anybody to think that I've got Alzheimer's, but there have been a few times that I've gone to look for something, get there, and say, now, what was it I was looking for? I know that never happens to any of you, but it has happened to me. What, what was it I was, I'm going to tell you, the same thing is true of the alcoholic and the drug addict and the prostitute and whoever. That what's going on is they're searching for something, but they're saying, what was it I was searching for? I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know I'm looking for something. Well, if you're just there looking and you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. But if you've got a goal, if there's something you're trying to find, you've got a much better chance of locating it. And I want to tell you, here's what he said. He said, God did all this so that they would seek the Lord if happily they might do what? They might feel after him. Happily, happily. Now, you know, this is um, one word in the English, happily. It's actually two words in the Greek. And, and these two words literally mean therefore indeed. So, so read it again, that they should seek the Lord if, therefore, indeed, they might feel after him. They're seeking the Lord. And their goal is, if I could just feel him, if I could just feel him. Listen, isn't that why they turn to these things? They go to drugs because they get a, a what? A what? A feeling. It's a feeling they're getting. A feeling. They turn to alcohol because they get a, a feeling. They turn to illicit sex because they get a, a feeling. They're, they're, they're looking for something they can feel. 
And I'm telling you, they go week after week to churches hoping if I could just feel something. If I could just feel something. Listen, that's from God. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? That's from God. God put that desire to feel him in your heart. God put that there. If I could just feel him. If I could just feel him. If I could just feel him. That that word feel, I mean, really, literally, it means to touch, to handle. If I could just touch him. Or if I could just receive a touch from him. How do we know that we've touched something? Because you feel it, right? Whether I touch him or he touches me, there's a feeling involved. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying that the desire of man's heart is to seek God to the point that they feel his They want to feel the touch of God. They want to feel the touch of God. One translation says that they should seek the Lord. If in any manner they might reach out to touch him. So finding him. Finding him is a process of reaching out. It's a process of reaching out. But let me just tell you this. It doesn't stop there. And this is where so many people get confused. And this is where I feel like I'm preaching to somebody in this building this morning. Please notice what he said. He said, if happily they might feel after him and and find him. The problem is people go on this search for God and then suddenly one day they're somewhere and they feel something and they think that's the end. But just because you feel him doesn't mean you found him. Hallelujah. Not everybody that feels God has found God. This is the mistake of religion today. I talked about those churches where they feel nothing. But I want to tell you, even in some of those churches, there have been people who were honest-hearted, who were sincere, who who came forward at the end of a message, knelt down at an altar, wept sincere tears, and truly felt a touch. And because they felt something, they walked away satisfied, believing that that feeling was all I needed. I'm here to tell you, God's got a process. God's got a purpose. God created things so you'd seek him. God has you seeking him so you'll feel him. But he's not finished. He wants you to feel him. To create a hunger. To go deeper than the feeling. And to really get to know him. I want to find him. I want to find him. I want it to go beyond this sense of feeling. I want it to go beyond just knowing that I've gotten a touch. 
I've got so much and I don't have time to finish what, what is here before me this morning. But let me just try to sum it up. Amen. Don't stop short with just a feeling. Just because you've cried a few tears. Just because you felt a few goosebumps. Just because you know that at some moment you were in the presence of God. Don't stop there. You got to go beyond that. Let me very quickly take you very quickly to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Listen to this. Verses 22 through 24. Hear this story this morning. Please give me a few more moments of your undivided attention. Mark chapter 8 verses 20 through 2 through 24. Read. And he come to Bethsaida. He comes, this is Jesus. Comes to Bethsaida. And they bring a blind they man to him. They brought a blind man unto him and. They sought him to touch him. And they be sought they're seeking him. They're looking for him. And what is it they're looking for? A touch. A touch. I need a touch. Jesus, we've come because we need a touch. We want you to touch, Lord. Please touch this blind man. The blind man said, Lord, if you'll just touch me, that's all I need. It's just a touch. But let's read on. And he took the blind man he by the, the hand man. and led him out of the town. He led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his spit eyes, on his eyes and put his hand and, upon him and put his hands upon him, Jesus touched him. Right? What did he come for? He came for a touch. Jesus touched him. And then he asked him if he saw aught. This was, man was blind. He came for a touch, and he got a touch. And Jesus asks a question. Can you see? And the answer? And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. The man said, I, I can see. I can see. That's an improvement. Are you hearing me this morning? That's an improvement. That's better than being blind. I'll tell you, I know what it is to see men as trees walking. I've, I've struggled with vision problems, I guess, most of my life. I didn't even know it, didn't know I had vision problems. I think I was 12 years old when we finally realized it. And, and the only reason we realized it then is because I would sit in class squinting and trying to see the blackboard, making little deals with my fingers, trying to... to, to, to to, to limit my vision, to make out what the teacher's writing on the board. And finally, one of the teachers saw that and contacted my parents and said, I think your son's got some vision problems. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, I've told some other people this. It was amazing to me the first time I put on a pair of glasses, walked out of the optometrist's office and looked at brick and saw texture. Had no idea there was texture in brick. I had no idea that you could see individual leaves on a tree. I just saw blobs of color. I understand what it is to see men as trees walking. That's better than being blind. And this man could have walked away and said, I got my touch. I'm better than I was. Thank you, Jesus. We're done. Because that's what so many people do in their religious experience. They hear a message. They cry some tears. They pray a prayer of repentance. They feel a touch. They say, I'm better than I was. And they stop right there. But I'm going to tell you, this story doesn't end there. And it doesn't end there for a reason. God wants us to know that the feeling, the touch, is not the end. 
So what happened? Verse 25. After that, he After put that, his hands again upon his he eyes. He touched him again. There was another touch. And made him look up. And made him look up. And he was restored. And he was restored. And saw, and every, man saw clearly. every man clearly. I'm going to tell you, it may be better to see men as trees walking, but the best is when you can see clearly. I'm preaching to you this morning. I know that you sit in church. I know that you want to feel a little touch of God, but I want you to understand that just feeling his touch is not enough. You may even have made a few changes. There may be some things better in your life, but that's not enough. God has something far greater than just the feeling he wants you to find him. Musicians come. I'm having to cut through over half of my notes this morning. I, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. The Bible tells us there were ten lepers came to Jesus. They were seeking him. They they were crying out to him. They wanted that feeling. The Bible says they lifted up their voice and said, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And, and this is in the notes here, Brother Brandon, in, in Luke chapter uh, 17, verse 14. What does verse 14 say? And when he saw them, he said unto them, go, said, show, yourselves go, unto the go show yourself to the priest. And it came to, it pass, came to pass that as they went. As they went. They were cleansed. So, so here's the deal. These men are going to die. They've got a death sentence in the disease that they possess. No cure for leprosy. No way they're going to survive this. You know, you understand how ravaging leprosy is. You understand? You understand that because of leprosy, and really, what leprosy really does, it destroys the nerve endings, so you don't feel anything anymore. And, 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 and this is what I've read, that, that really it's not the leprosy that eats their fingers and their toes trying to be grotesque but I'm just trying to tell you they have no feeling and so literally varmints rats and animals can come in at night and, and eat their feet away or, or they, they, they cut an arm they don't know that it's even cut and infection sets in and, and because of the gangrene or whatever's there their arm can just rot off so you understand, here are ten men who have a death sentence. They're going to die. They're going to die. And they've cried out to Jesus. They got his attention, and they went their way. As they went, they are leaving Jesus now. And guess what happened? They recognized. They got a feeling. The leprosy's not there anymore. How does a leper know he no longer has leprosy? Suddenly he has feeling. Right? So they're hobbling along and dragging their foot and all of a sudden they felt that rock. 
I haven't felt anything in years. They brush up against somebody. I, I haven't felt that in years. I, I, I'm better than I was. I can feel again. Verse 15. And one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, saw that he'd been healed, turned back. He turned back. With a loud voice. With a loud voice. Glorified God. He glorified God. And fell down on his face. I know, I know I've had a feeling. I know I've had a touch. But that's not enough. I'm not finished with this touch. That's not enough. I can't just go on my way. I can't just continue on just because I got a feeling. But with a loud voice, he glorified God. Fell down on his face. Fell down on his face. At Jesus' feet, giving giving him him thanks. thanks. He was a Samaritan. Samaritan. Verse 17. And Jesus Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? Look, let me show you. Jesus fully expected the feeling to lead them further. Do you see that? He was looking for all ten of them to come back. He let them have the feeling for a purpose. But they missed it. They were content in the feeling. But one of them said, I'm not stopping with the feeling. I'm going on. I'm going on. Where they're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? And then verse 19 says, He said to him, He said to that one arise, that came back, Arise, go, thy way. go your way, thy faith because your you faith has made you whole. There's a difference. Nine of them were healed and got nothing else. But one said, That feeling is not all I'm looking for. I came up here with a crutch because part of my leg is missing. I'm not going home with a crutch. I may be better now. I have feeling now. I'm not going to lose any other extremities. But that's not enough. I want more than just the feeling. And because he came back. And because he was still hungry. And because he kept searching. Jesus said you. You. Out of the ten. Your faith has made you. whole." And his leg came back. And his fingers came back. And the things that he was missing. Not only did he have the feeling again. But he had everything he'd been lacking. Because he didn't stop. With just the feeling. I'm preaching to somebody in this place today. I'm not criticizing. I'm not. I'm not. Trying to make light of what experience you've had I'm just telling you there's a reason why God lets you feel what you feel it's to draw you even closer to him and to bring you to that place that you keep searching and you keep seeking until he makes you whole whole praise God praise God Bible says in the day 
that you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. All your heart. That's the day you're going to find me. God wants to be found by you. God's hoping you keep on searching. God's hoping you won't grow content with just getting a feeling once in a while. Let me tell you something, saints of God. I'm not just preaching to sinners today. I'm preaching to every one of us. Too many times, that's all we look for. We come to church, and as long as I've got a few goosebumps, I'm happy. That's all I needed. But we've got to go beyond the feeling. God, I want to find you in this service tonight. I want to locate you in this service tonight. In my prayer life, I don't want to just pray until I feel a little something. But I want to pray until I find you. Even with us, even with us, hear me, I'm going to close. In fact, let's stand. I'm going to close. But even with us, if we're not careful, we talk in tongues and we're scattered. That's the evidence. That's the evidence we receive the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you something. Tongues is the evidence that the Spirit has come. But the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Spirit remains. And too many Pentecostals are content because they talk in tongues once in a while. You know what you're doing? The same thing those lepers did. I got my feeling. That's all I needed. Got my feeling. Thank you, Lord. I talked in tongues. Thank you, Lord. Until we find him and he begins to produce fruit in our lives and we become more like him and we're changed into his image until those things are transpiring and happening we need to keep on searching and keep on seeking and keep on looking anybody feel like praying this morning anybody feel like seeking after the Lord this morning God, I don't want to stop with just a feeling. I want to find you. I want to find you. I want you working in my life, not just touching me and then me moving on.